grateful you're here this evening, and it's good to be in church tonight. We're continuing our series. It's our second week on the book of Revelation, so we're going to take our Bibles tonight, Revelation 1, and we're going to continue on, verse 4 through 8 tonight, Revelation chapter 1, verse 4 through 8. And uh, we move things, things move right along tonight. That's good. And so Revelation 1, and look with me at verse number 4. And we're going to read verse 4 through 8 and dive in. You'll notice, I know that some of us, as we look at the book of Revelation, you're waiting for all the good stuff, the horses and all that stuff, and blood lining the streets and all that. That's coming later, okay? As we get into it, you've got to lay the groundwork and there's a lot to get to before that time. And so we're in Revelation 1. Look at verse number 4. It says, John to the seven churches which are in Asia, grace be unto you and peace from him which is and which was and which is to come, and from the seven spirits which are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness and the first begotten of the dead and the prince of the kings of the earth, unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood, and hath made us kings and priests unto God and his Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold, he cometh with clouds, and every eye shall see him, and they also which pierced him, and all kindreds of the earth shall wail because of him. Even so, amen. I am Alpha and Omega. The beginning and the end, the, saith the Lord, which is and which was and which is to come, the Almighty. We see, as with other epistles in the New Testament, we see this is the opening of a letter. And so, just as I would write, dear so-and-so, I was, the other day, it made me laugh, I went to visit Betty Laughlin. She, um... Her and her husband used to be in our church for several years, and they're both in their 90s. She's, uh, they're in a kind of a nursing home, an assisted living place, but she cannot hear. And so she'll call me, and she called me today. And she says, hello, pastor? And I'm like, yes, what? And for the next 10 minutes, I hear the word what over and over again. Well, when I go visit her, I have to, I literally have my phone there. And I have the setting on high, uh, you know, big, and I type out what I'm saying to her so she can hear it because I don't want to yell it to her. Well, the other day when I was there, we're talking, uh, or I'm typing and she's talking to me, you know, however that works there. And she's like, Pastor, no one writes me letters. No one writes letters anymore. Will you write me a letter? I'm like, sure. I didn't ask her what she wanted me to write in the letter, but I said, I will write you a letter. But I said, this is the thing. If I write you a letter, you can't complain about my writing. You just got to take it as it is. And so I wrote her a letter. And so today I asked her, did you get my, I got your letter. Thank you for writing me a letter. She's like, did you get my letter yet? I'm like, no, it takes a little bit longer. Email would be quicker, but we'll just go with regular. It's all good. And so just in the letter, I, you know, I, tie, I, put, I wrote, dear Betty, and then I wrote a few things out for her. And so you'll see a common greeting. We see it right here. John to the, so John, who's he writing to? The seven churches which are in Asia. If you have a magnifying glass, you could see on that little, the picture on the top there, 
the seven churches are actually listed right there. And you can see where they are. And uh, yeah, you're not going to be able to read that real good. Smyrna, Ephesus, Pergamos, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, Laodicea. Say, could you read that? No, I know the seven churches by name. That's why I could do that. That's, that's a little small even for me. I can kind of get it up close. But So he's writing to these seven churches. But you see a usual greeting. And you'll see that Paul does this often. Grace and peace from him which was and is. They start out wishing grace and peace on those. And so literally tonight what you'll see, the book of Revelation begins with seven letters to seven churches. That's where it begins before John sees the things which are going to happen hereafter. And so what we're going to see over the next several weeks building up at the beginning here is we're going to get to these seven churches. You might be like, well, are the seven churches, how exciting are those letters? It's the Bible. It's all exciting. I know Joe and I were talking earlier tonight, and he was talking about he's going through the chronological Bible, and I've got several people doing that with me. And when you get, when you get behind in Leviticus and that area, it is hard to catch up. But where he was, he was a little bit behind in Samuel. You could literally, I could listen to first and, and read first and second Samuel. I could read it in one sitting. It's, one, it's that section where it's just good stuff, and you, it just reads along. It's like you're almost reading a movie script as you're reading through there. Not all the Bibles like that. Like the through, those are the, that are doing the through the word app with me, I just finished Chronicles 9, 1 Chronicles 9. I got through all those names. And then they had to pick the pastor with the driest sense of humor to be the one to go through those nine chapters. And so, and today's like, I'm so sorry that we're done with that. And I'm like, okay. And so I would have put someone a little bit more exciting, but that's okay. They, we got through it there. But I want you to understand, you're going to get a lot through these seven churches. And sometimes I know, and this is the thought sometimes, the book of Revelation, we're excited to know what's going to happen later. Well, there's a lot about what's happening now to deal with before the later. And it will be a blessing and a help to you through the entire book. And so it's going to take a little bit to get going here. And, but we will get going. It's going to take a little bit of time. And so tonight I want to talk about the greeting he has to the seven churches and break it down a little bit for you. Let's have a word of prayer one more time tonight and dive in and we'll see where we get tonight. Father, we're grateful for the book of Revelation, the fact that we get to study it and get to preach from it. Pray that you just bless our time and I pray that you just help us as we dive in here to get what you have for us. And I am a firm believer that there is stuff from verse 1 all the way through chapter 22 and the very last amen. I pray that you just guide us and help us, and we need you. We love you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Number one tonight as we dive in, we see John's letters to the seven churches. We see the letter to the seven churches. And right away, his name John to the seven churches are in Asia. Grace be unto you and peace from him which is and which was and which is to come, and from the seven spirits which are before the throne. And from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness and the first begotten of the dead and the prince of the kingdom of the earth. And so as we look here tonight, we see right away John's writing this letter to seven churches. Now these seven churches are in Asia Minor. And so these churches are mentioned by name down in verse number 11. It goes through them. 
Ephesus, Myrna, Pergamus, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. What I want you to understand is that literally, letter A here, as we get in here, these are real, literal churches. These are not just fictitious groups or a name. These are real churches. And this is important and key for us. Because we looked at, remember last week, there are different groups that don't believe there's anything literal about the book of Revelation. They believe it's all allegorical and things like that. But these are literal congregations. They existed in that day when John was penning these letters. And Jesus spoke to them. And what you'll see as we go through these letters to the seven churches is how intimately God knows each one of those churches. And how Jesus says, hey, I've got a problem with you in this area. Or you're good here, and you're very good at standing for this and doing this, but I have something against you. And he goes through, and just a little thought for us, that Jesus knows his church well, right? Do you know our church tonight, he knows it well? He knows each of us. He knows what we do. He knows the good about Victory Baptist Church. He also knows the bad about Victory Baptist Church. It's amazing sometimes, and you, in all honesty, most of you in this room don't have a clue what goes on with the members of this church. And I know quite a bit, and a lot of times I find out after the fact. And, where, and, and we got, and we got to be careful with things. You know, as a church, when we let sin run rampant in our ranks, in our church, there's a problem with that. It should not be. And God sees all those things, and sometimes we just, we can't overlook sin. Sin's got to be dealt with. And if you knew, and you, if, if, I tell you, there's a lot to it. But I know this, that even what I know and what I deal with doesn't even compare to the truth that the Lord knows about it all. And that's where something that we got to keep in our minds and keep fresh and before our very eyes is you can fool us, you can fool your fellow church members. You can fool your pastor. I'm easy to fool. You can fool me pretty easy. You cannot fool God. He sees it all. He knows it all. He knows your heart. He knows what's going on. I always think back to the 12 disciples, right? And the fact that Judas, literally the Lord says, one of you is going to betray me. And all of them, not one of them there that night said, Hi, it was, it's Judas. Lord, is it me? They, Judas had them fooled. In a room like this, you might think that you have us all fooled and you're doing what you want to do. Do you realize that sin hurts a church? It does. And the church in Corinth, there was sin going on there and it hurt the body of Christ. And what I want you to understand is you can fool me and you can fool everyone else in this room all day long. You cannot fool God. And as we look at these letters to these churches, these literal churches, Jesus is like, I know what's going on. I see it. I'm glad that you do this. I'm glad that you're hard on this and that. But you've forgotten about me. And you know, if the Lord were to walk in, if he were to write us a letter, what would that letter say? It scares me a little bit when I stop and just think about those things. But as we look at this, we see that they were real, literal congregations. This, these are real churches. Also, I personally believe, and you see, I put, I believe. Do you see that there on your notes? I believe. That doesn't mean that it's a Bible fact. It's my belief that these churches are representative of every Christian church that's ever existed. I think that there's a lot there in that statement, and I'll talk more about it as we go through each church. 
But make sure you understand that statement. I believe this. I'm not saying the Bible says this. I'm saying this is what I believe about that. And you might say and be like, well, I don't think so. Good, great, and wonderful. If you were preaching the message, you could say you didn't believe that, okay? And so it could be that way. But you've got to understand something. And, and I believe that, I believe in church ages to some degree. I'm not a, I'm not, I'm not a strong dispensationalist. There are strong dispensationalists. And if you don't know what the word dispensationalist means, thank God you don't know what it means. And a lot of times, the more terminology you know, the more trouble you're going to get yourself into. So if you're like a dispensationalist, what? Yeah, that, just leave it there. A dispen what? And you don't worry about it. Because the problem is there are hyper-dispensationalists, which if you follow a hyper-dispensationalist, literally, there was a different way to get saved in the Old Testament than the New Testament. And I don't believe that that's true because Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. But I do believe as we look at the different churches, if you, if you, as we go through the churches, if you look at the Laodicean church, it totally looks like the church today, which is the last church age before the Lord's return. And I see that very closely there. But I'm not a hyper-dispensationalist where I get carried away with things. So be careful with all that stuff. And if you know some of that stuff and you're not sure where you stand and what happens with all that stuff, you can talk to me about it. I'm not the, I'm not the brightest bulb in the room, but I do know a little bit of my stuff, just a little bit. And uh, it's good to, and the thing is, it's always good to learn and grow because, you know, there could be someone here, well, I'm a hyper this, and you can be a hyper whatever you want. But if God's word shows you differently than what terminology you like to use, go with the word of God always. One of the things that I've learned that's really helped me as a pastor for 12 years now is I used to be, this is what, I, this is what we believe because this is what the Baptists believe. I don't care what a Baptist believes. And I don't care if you don't like that statement or not. I care what the word of God says. And the word of God has shaped and changed me more than anything else has. And you better be glad you got a pastor that will let the word of God change him. We need the word of God to change us. So I believe that these are representative of every church it, that's ever existed. And as we look at these things, it's interesting to note, too, that there's seven of them. Do you know the number seven is used a lot in the book of Revelation? And the number seven is used a lot in the Bible. Now, you get people that are big on numerology in the Bible, too. And, you know, John chapter 6 Verse 66 is when everybody left the Lord, and that was, that's the ma number for man. Yes, it's the number for man, but the numbers are not inspired, okay? The John 6, 66, those numbers were added later on, okay? So don't get carried away on that stuff. But the number seven stands for completion or perfection, right? God created the world in seven days. And so seven is a number that matters. And when we think about it, do you know for, for a rainbow, isn't there seven colors that make up the rainbow? The full color spectrum? I think it is. I could be wrong. A, Caroline, a musical scale, isn't there seven? I think there's seven. Right? Seven? Or am I wrong? I think there's seven. I could be wrong. And if I'm wrong, I'm not an expert on music. We proved that last night, Abram. And so we should have had you bring your harmonica tonight. We could have, we could, after church, Wednesday nights, Wednesday nights I have a problem with people sticking around a long time. 
you, you have it with you, and I'll give you a signal sometime, and we'll play it together. We'll clear the building out in a matter of seconds. Maybe that's what we need to do between first and second service so that we get the parking lot cleared. That's a good idea. We'll keep that in mind. You know, I'll just give you a little sign. You'll play the heart. There's seven? So, yeah, see? See? Good. I th- I'm glad that's... Um, do you know, think about the city of Jericho. How many priests were there? Seven. How many trumpets did they have? How many, t- how many days did they march around the city? And how many times did they march around it the last day? Seven times. That's a lot there. In the book of Revelation, there are seven churches, seven spirits, seven stars, seven seals, seven horns, seven eyes, seven trumpets, seven angels, seven thunders, seven heads, seven crowns, seven plagues, seven vials, seven mountains, seven kings, and a lot more sevens, but that's just a little bit for you. It's just a little bit about the number seven there, and just a thought for you there. You'll see a lot of sevens because... Why is seven mentioned a lot in the book? Because it's the completion of everything. Get it? How that works? Like in the book of Genesis, you're going to have a lot of beginnings. The book of Revelation, you're having the completion of things. And we'll talk about that a lot as we go through. So as we look here tonight, we see John's letter, number one. As we look at his letter, the first thing that we see, letter A, is John's greeting. Grace and grace unto you in peace. Look Now look at this phrase what I want you to see. Look there at verse number four. It says, John to the seven churches are in Asia. Grace be unto you in peace. Now, doesn't everybody want grace and peace? Doesn't, everybody, doesn't the world want peace? I think it does, right? Everybody wants peace. Everyone wants favor and all these different things. But do you see where it comes from? Do you see it listed right there? It says, from him. And I want you to understand tonight as... John opens up his letter, and Paul would open up his letters like this. Peter opened up his, they were praying for God's grace and peace to be on God's people. That's one of the things that I pray for you each and every day, that God would give you his grace and his peace would be on you. And I want you to understand, you need his grace and his peace. That's what we see here tonight in this passage. Because without the Lord's grace and his peace, you'll never have true peace and true grace. And you see in John's greeting, it's grace and peace unto you. We see letter B, we see the Trinity found in the letter. And you know the word Trinity is never found in the Bible. But you'll see mentioned in these verses, you see the Father mentioned down in verse number 6. You see the seven spirits and you see the capital S referring to the Holy Spirit. And so as we look at this, you've got to understand something. The promise of grace and peace comes from God. And you notice that's what it says there in verse 4 and 5. It says, from him which was and which was and which is to come. It comes from God. So we see, first of all, letter A, we see the Father mentioned. The Father's mentioned and God is mentioned there. This identifies the God who is the self-existent one. The Bible tells us, remember when Moses saw the burning bush, I am that I am. And God always has been and he always will be. God's always existed. God is the ultimate source of grace and peace. He is eternal. He never changes. He is the Father. You also see number two, you see the Spirit. So why aren't you mentioning Jesus first? Because Jesus gets a lot more attention. So well, why does Jesus get more attention? Because the book is literally the unveiling of Jesus Christ. That's why he gets more attention here. Don't you notice Jesus is the one who humbled himself, put on flesh, 
did all that he did, and God's going to exalt him, right? Isn't that what the scriptures teach us? And so we'll get to Jesus here in a minute. But we see not only the Father, but we see the Spirit. And we see the seven, it says, and it should have been capitalized there. It says the seven spirits which are before his throne. And a capital S shows us it's talking about the Spirit of God. And so we have that there for us. So you got the Father, the Spirit, and number three, you have the Son. And when John talks about the Son here, he mentions the Father, he mentions the Spirit in passing, really. But you see, he really focuses in on Jesus Christ and who he is here. Look at what it says here. It says there in verse number 5, And from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, and the first begotten of the dead, and the prince of the kings of the earth. You see, he focuses in on Jesus for a little bit. And church, may I just remind you of something? It's okay to focus in on Jesus just a little bit. Really, as I was preparing this on Monday and getting things finished up here, we're, we, are, we are going to the book of Hebrews next Sunday morning. We're finishing up Second Peter. We're going to be in the book of Hebrews. Why? Because Christ is better than anything. That's literally what we're going to talk about for the next while. Christ is better. That's what the book of Hebrews is all about. He's better than the angels. He's better than Moses. He's better than the Old Testament law. He's better than Melchizedek. Christ is better. That's what we're going to look at. We're going to study that for a while. And as we look at this fact, we see he talks about Jesus, and he goes into detail a little bit. Who is he? He gives some detail here. First of all, we see number or letter A, small a. We see he's the faithful witness. Now, when we think about this fact, Jesus is called here the faithful witness. And this phrase reminds us of the fact that he came the first time. And Jesus, why did he come? He came to reveal God to us, right? He came to bear witness of the Father. He did those things. And Jesus, I read this and I thought this was pretty interesting. Jesus is the only one who literally could claim the title as Jehovah's Witness. Right? Isn't that true? No one else should be able to say that. And the group that does doesn't even believe that Jesus is God. But Jesus came and he proclaimed the Father. Remember how John said, hey, or not John, but Phil, hey, show us the Father, and it sufficeth us. And Jesus like, have I not been with you long enough? If you've seen me, you've seen the Father? And, you know, we look at it today, and we think about the Old Testament. There were Old Testament witnesses of God. There were New Testament. Who's the witness of God in the New Testament? The church is, right? Are we always faithful in our witness? Has there ever been a human being completely faithful in their witness? No. So when John says here, Jesus, as we're talking about Jesus Christ, it says here, as we look at it, the fact that he is the faithful witness. He is the only one who faithfully is witness completely, right? It's number one. Number two, letter B, we see he's the first begotten of the dead. The first begotten of the dead. Now, when we look at this, was there any Old Testament people that were raised from the dead? Can anybody name anybody that you can remember? Wasn't there a boy that was raised to, from, by Elijah? 
There was a boy that was raised. Anyone else? Can you think of anybody else in the Old Testament that was raised from the dead? Yeah? That's a good one. I wasn't even thinking of that one. That's why she teaches the, Bi- the ladies' Bible study. She can be teaching this Bible study, thinking of that one. How about in the New Testament? Can you think of anybody that was raised from the dead? Before, so was Lazarus raised before Jesus? Yeah. So, but it says that Jesus is the first begotten of the dead. That's not referring to him being the first one risen from the dead. Because that boy that Elijah raised, he raised back to life. The one that he raised back to life, Lazarus raised back to life. But there's a difference between Jesus and everyone else who ever has risen again. The fact is that boy that rose in Elijah's day, he died again. And did you know that Lazarus, yes, he came forth, and yes, he rose from the dead, but Lazarus died again. There's only one, the first one, to raise from the dead and stay alive. It's Jesus Christ. And so what John is doing here is he's mentioned the Father, he's mentioned the Spirit, but he's focusing in on Jesus because that's what Revelation is all about. It's unveiling Jesus for who he truly is. And the fact is that Jesus, he is the faithful witness, and he is the first begotten of the dead. And literally that word first begotten, and I'm not the, I, I, what was it, I think last week Abram was like, you did pretty good on that message, but you butchered some of those names. I don't claim to be able to give all the names and say them right. I, I can barely say some of your names right, and I'm not going to even worry past there. You know, I got guys like Ryan in here. He can fill us in if I, and so the word first begotten, it comes from the word that means prototype. He's literally the standard. He is the one. And isn't that true about Jesus? He is the prototype. He is the standard. He is the first begotten of the dead. And not only and you got to understand that and someday because of him we will be as he is, right? We live again. Because of him. And so we look here at Jesus. We see the fact he is the faithful witness. He is the first begotten of the dead. But look what else it says here. It says, and the prince of the kings of the earth. Do you see that right there? That's letter C. The third title, the prince of the kings of the earth. And what this says is that Jesus Christ is the king of kings and he's lord of lords. He is above all. And so John, as he opens up his letter to the seven churches, he says, hey, grace and peace be to you from the Father, from the seven spirits, but from Jesus Christ. He's the faithful witness. He is the first begotten of the dead, and he's the prince of the kings of the earth. And then I love what happens here. John gets focused so much on Jesus, he stops the letter and just starts praising Jesus for a little bit. We see the first doxology of the book of Revelation. There are many others. This is the shortest one, but it's right away. And isn't, I think that's just the way it should be. There should be times in our lives where you just get thinking about Jesus and what he's done in your life and who he is, and you just stop what you're doing, and you just praise him for what he's done in your life. Literally, that's what we see before our eyes. John is like, he is the faithful witness. He's the first begotten of the dead. He is the prince of the kings of the earth. And then look at what it says there. 
unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood and hath made us kings and priests unto God and his Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. He just stops and gives praise to the Lord. Church, it would do you a lot of good in your life to take time and just think about Jesus. I like that song, let's talk about Jesus, the King of kings is he. You could change your whole outlook on a day just stopping and thinking about Jesus. And John focused in on Jesus, and then we see him praise him. And as we get to, we'll get to point number two tonight, we see that John just continues praising Jesus. He starts talking about him, and he can't stop talking about him. That's the way it should be. You start talking about him, you start thinking about Jesus, and you should start talking about him and praising him. And what do we see John praise him for? First of all, letter A, for his love. Unto him that loved us. Aren't you grateful tonight for the fact that God loves you? The fact that God sent his son and that he loves you tonight. And he doesn't love you based on how good you are to him. He doesn't love you based on what you can give him. He loves you unconditionally for who you are. That's why the Bible tells us, and I love these verses, and don't ever let it grow cold in your mind, but for God so loved the world that he gave his only, he so loved the world. He not only loved, he so loved. He loves you tonight that he gave his son. And John says he is the faithful witness. He is the first begotten of the dead. He's the prince of the kings of the earth, and he loved me. Thank God for that love tonight. We think about the Bible tells us, and Paul said it, that he's persuaded that there's nothing in Romans 8, verse 38 and 39, that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, look at it, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. He loves us tonight. And as John is thinking about the Lord and thinking about Jesus, he praises him for his love. But letter next, the thing that we see, letter B, and I don't even know what letter I'm on tonight, and it doesn't even matter. Letter B, he thanks the Lord and he praises him for his sacrifice. And has washed us from our sins in his own blood. The word washed means to cleanse. Jesus shed his blood on the cross to cleanse us from our sins. Thank God for that. The Bible says in 1 John 1, 7, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanseth us from all sin. If we were to look back at that phrase, you know, that sacrifice there, his sacrifice, he washed us from our sins in his own blood. Do you realize that what we brought, what did we bring to the table for the Lord? We brought our sin. That's literally what we brought. We brought our sin. And what did Jesus do? He brought his blood. And he washed us clean. Ever get your hands real dirty? And then there's just something I like. I like my hands clean after they, there's just something about it. Some kids, they don't care. They could care less if their hands are clean or not. Um, Sophia says she doesn't care. Sophia just doesn't care. And so you get that from your dad or your mom. Which one? From your dad. And he's the one who picked through all that fruit for you tonight that you did her eating. 
But he is a Raider fan, so I would expect him not to care what's up with his hands. They, aren't, they don't care about what's dirty and what's not. But literally, we come dirty to the Lord. And he takes us and washes us clean by his blood. And John just takes some time and says, Oh, the fact he is the first begotten of the dead. He's the faithful witness. He's king of kings. He's lord of lords. He's like, I just got to stop for a minute. Look at what he's done for me. He's loved me. He's washed me clean. And then letter C, we see the Bible tells us here, and hath made us kings and priests unto God and his Father. He thanked him and praised him for changing us. Aren't you grateful you're not what you used to be? I know some of us like to live like we used to, but he didn't save us to live like we used to. He changed us. It changed that day. I love Psalm 40. It's one of my favorite passages in all the Bible. Uh, uh, The psalm says there, I waited patiently for the Lord, and he inclined unto me, and he heard my cry. He brought me up also out of a horrible pit, out of the miry clay, and he set me upon a rock and established my goings. He put a new song in my mouth. The Bible tells us in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 17, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. You're not an old creature. You're a new creature. All those old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And John just takes a couple minutes and praises God and says, thank you for loving me. Thank you for washing me clean. And thank you for changing me. I think it's a good thing to praise the Lord. I think we don't do enough of it. Man, this world needs to see more of God's people just praising the Lord. You know, I hear a lot of people, a lot of Christians say a lot of different things day in and day out. And uh, we would do much better just to lift up Jesus and to praise Jesus. It would do us a lot of good. And that's all I'll say about that tonight. But he just, and I love how he ends it here. He says, to him, to Christ, be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. And church, the closer you get to him, the more you'll praise him. The further you are from him, the less you praise him. If your praise hasn't been much lately, you might want to get back to the feet of Jesus. You might want to get back to him and see him for who he truly is. We look at this passage tonight, and we see John writes a letter. John gives a greeting. And then lastly tonight, thirdly, we see there's the promise in the letter. What this tells us, the promise in the letter here, basically tells us what is ahead for us. What are we going to see? What's the promise in the letter? Letter A, Jesus is coming again. The world's been waiting for a long time for a Redeemer, over 6,000 years. The Jews technically think they're still waiting for their Redeemer to come. They're waiting for their Messiah. He already came. But Jesus is coming again. The Bible tells us, look at verse number 7, Behold, he cometh with clouds, and every eye shall see him, and they also which pierced him, and all kindreds of the earth shall wail because of him. Even so, amen. And this is talking about, this is not talking about, this verse here is not talking about the rapture. Because not everyone's going to see him at the rapture, are they? They're not going to know what happened, why people are gone, why the church has been taken up. This is talking about the day of the Lord. This is talking about his return to earth. 
the battle of Armageddon, that time, and what's going to take place during that time. And as we think about it, he is coming again. When we think about that fact, what does this tell us, first of all? He's coming with clouds. Do you ever think about the times that clouds are mentioned in the Bible? There are a few times that clouds are mentioned, right? Wasn't, for the children of Israel, wasn't there a pillar of cloud that led them by day? And in the hot sun, it was nice to have that cloud. That cloud brought about and reminded them of God's presence with them. When the tabernacle was filled, there was a cloud. The temple, a cloud. When Jesus was up with the disciples in the Mount of Transfiguration, when he was received out of their sight, there was a cloud. He comes with clouds. The second thing that we see is the fact that every eye shall see him. Now think with me for a minute. I'm not going to get too technologically advanced for you, but John penned these words about 2,000 years ago. If you were to tell someone 100 years ago that everyone in the world would see this, how is that going to happen? If something happens in a remote part of the world today, can everyone see it? Why? Television? Video camera? Cell phones now? So what the Bible says that every eye shall see him till a hundred years ago, that still would be hard to believe. Right? This is 2,000 years ago, and you've got to understand, we're going to talk about this later on, but you've got to remember that John is looking at things taking place with eyes from 2,000 years ago. If he, I, I'll show you sometime. I think there's a verse that literally talks about an airplane just a little bit. I'll show it to you, and you can decide for yourself. But he's not, he, a bird, he's not going to know what an airplane is. A car. Could you, could you imagine what it'd be like for John to see all the Battle of Armageddon playing out? And look at how technologically advanced our world is today. So we'll look at, we'll dive in some, but, but one of the things I see is every eye is going to see him. And I think it is possible today for everyone to see him because of the advances in our world today. Not only is everyone going to see him, but thirdly, we see the fact that, or we'll wait till we get to the end. I had a third one I was thinking about doing, but I'm not, didn't include that. But letter B, we see that Jesus will bring an end to everything. I'm not a Greek or a Hebrew scholar, but I do know this, that Alpha and Omega is the first letter of the Greek alphabet and the last. He is the beginning. He is the end. The Lord, think about this, the Lord spoke the world into existence in the beginning. And he's literally going to speak it out of existence in the end. He's the beginning he is the end. And we look at number two there. We see he's which is and which was and is to come. He was in the beginning. He was before the beginning. He created it all. And he's coming again. And do you realize that someday we look at those verses there the whole earth's going to wail because of him. Not, people are not going to be happy when he comes. 
Do you realize that? As believers, we are looking forward to the day that Jesus comes. This world's not. It's not going to be good. There'll be wailing, it says in these verses here. And we look at the end there, and we see it says, I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, saith the Lord, which was, which, and which, which is, which was, and which is to come. And then the last phrase, number three, the Almighty. And basically the word Almighty, as we look at it, it literally means the one who holds sway over all things. God is sovereign. And in our world today, it might not seem like he has everything under control, but he does. One of my favorite now, um, oh, way to drop your water bottle, son. So it was my son that did that there. And uh, you hear how hard that water bottle was? Out before church tonight, he dropped it on his mother's foot, too. And so, and I'm glad to tell you, she didn't swear or anything. <laughs> Literally, you want to see the words people use, you have to have something drop on their foot, or you smash your finger, and you can see what's on, what really comes out, what they say at that time. So after church, we're going to have a little test. I got my hammer in the office, <laughs> and we will see what words come out of your mouth tonight and what you use. Just kidding. But one of, my, one of my favorite preachers of yesteryear and some of my commentaries I have the most of are John Phillips. I only start, and John Phillips, I never, I never knew of John Phillips till um, Joe Mark. Remember Joe Mark? And so there were a couple different, different old preachers that he got me to really read and to listen to. But in John Phillips and his sermons, in one of his sermons, he tells this story. And I just want to read it to you, and it's going to be how I close this out tonight. It says, one of the most stirring pages in English history tells of the conquest and the crusades of Richard I, the Lionhearted. Well, Richard was away trouncing, um, it looks like salad in, salad in, I will say it that way. I'm sure you're going to tell me later on I didn't say that right. His kingdom fell on bad times. His sly and graceless brother John absurd all of the things, and he took over the realm. The people of England suffered and longed for the return of their king and praying that it would be soon. Then one day Richard came. He landed in England and marched straight for his throne. Around that glittering coming, many tales are told in England, or um, woven into legends of England. Robin Hood, that's where the story comes from. John's castles trembled, like nine pins, and great Richard laid claim to his throne, and none dare stand in his path, and the people were shouting with delight because their king had returned. The lion was back, and they were waiting for the king to return. And as John Philip says in his sermon, one day there will be a king greater than Richard that has a greater throne than just the throne of England to take back. But he has the throne of all to take. And he's going to come. And his kingdom's been abused and trounced by Satan. But the king will return. And he will take claim to what is rightfully his and owned by him. That's who Jesus is. And what we get to see throughout the book of Revelation, there's no more this man who got tired, this man who um, slept on a boat, while the disciples were being tossed to and fro. This man who was limited, 
No, you get to see Jesus Christ for who he truly is. And someday, everybody that takes his precious name in vain and those that can't stand Jesus will see him for who he truly is. And the world's not ready for that moment they see Jesus. I'm glad to be a Christian tonight, aren't you? I'm thankful for God's grace and peace. They come from God. If you don't know the Lord, there is no grace and peace. And John just opens up his letter, and as he opens up his letter, he gets stuck on Jesus just a little bit. And it would do us all well to get stuck on Jesus more than what we do. Father,